Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analysing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapter 11 of New Moon, titled Cult. First of all, I just wanted to say a huge thank you to the people who have been buying the Breaking Down Bad Books merch that's available on breakingdownbadbooks.com. I know it's ridiculous, but seeing photos of people in their sweaters that say Edward Cullen is an abusive boyfriend and the lion fell in love with the dumb bitch. Like that just, (laughs) that really tickles me. So if you've also bought any of the merch, please snap a pic and send it through because it just gives me life. I I can see that some people have bought the Ghost of a Smile um, merchandise as well as the Team Mike merchandise. They seem to be the most popular ones so far. But yeah, send your pics in, loving it. And also thank you to everyone who's moved over to TikTok and is following me there at Breaking Down Bad Books. I'm reading Midnight Sun. I think I'm 17 pages into it at the time of recording this. And it's really just 17 pages of Edward wanting to kill Bella, which has been kind of cathartic for me to read. Like he's, he's just been saying, oh, I hate her. I hate how she's making me feel. I hate that she's done this to me. And I was like, I felt all of those feelings as well about Bella Swan. And then he's sitting in that biology class. She thinks that he thinks that she stinks, but really he's thinking about all the ways that he could kill her. And haven't we all just sat there and thought about killing Bella Swan for a solid hour and a half? But it has been quite repetitive though. So, uh, I mean, it's like a 700 page book and I'm like, yeah, I'll do one page per TikTok. We'll see. I mean, I don't know if I'm setting unrealistic expectations for myself. Like, what's this going to take me two years to read? We'll see. But the way she's repeating herself, maybe I'll be able to cut out half the pages. Anyway, let's get into this chapter. It's cult. So we're talking about the cult because Jacob's now a part of the cult. When's she going to figure out that it's not really a cult? She knows werewolves exist. I mean, well, she's been told werewolves exist, but she doesn't really register anything that's not involving Edward Cullen. So she should know that werewolves exist. She should be putting some things together, but she's not. And so last chapter, she had just run into Laurent and thought, you know what, I'll just have a nice chat with him and I'll be fine. Well, she was not fine. But luckily, a pack of wolves descended and chased Laurent away. And she still sort of is under the presumption that Laurent is going to kill these wolves. So she's not that worried about the wolves. She's more worried about Laurent and the fact that he said Victoria's interested in killing her. So she starts this chapter waking up from a nightmare. Groundbreaking. Florals for spring, groundbreaking. Every time we start a chapter in this book, she's waking up from a nightmare. And it's only chapter 11, but it's happened 13 times. But she's waking up surprised that she's lived another night because, you know, the Victoria threat. And then she just tells us how much she misses Jacob. Again, it's just repetition soup. 
She said it had been bad enough to be alone before she was scared silly about Victoria. And now more than ever, she yearned for his carefree laugh and his infectious grin. Has Bella Swan ever found a grin infectious? Like, I don't think she's a smiley person. She doesn't come across as a barrel of laughs, but Jacob must, must cause her to smile. He really is super powered. If there's any hint that there's a touch of supernatural about Jacob Black, it's the fact that he can get Bella Swan to cheer up. She says, I needed the safe sanity of his homemade garage and his warm hand around my cold fingers because his purpose is to serve you, Bella Swan. So she starts waiting for his call on Monday, but he doesn't ring. So on Tuesday, she starts calling him, but no answer. And she's like, maybe Billy's invested in caller ID. Very possible. And I'm thinking, okay, no calls on Monday, one call on Tuesday. This seems to be a natural progression. But then she says, on Wednesday, I called every half hour until after 11 at night. Every half hour until after 11 at night. I hope she means that she only started at least at like 4 p.m. after school. But every half hour, that's psychotic. And then on Thursday, she spent an hour in her truck arguing with herself, like wanting to go to La Push. And the only thing that's holding her back is if Victoria is really in town, she doesn't want to take the chance that she'll lead Victoria to La Push. And I'm thinking, Bella, Victoria's not sitting in a bush watching you sit in your truck and thinking, oh, I'll kill her, but only if she makes a move. She'd just kill you, which is it. A wonderful question that I'm now considering. Why doesn't Victoria just kill her? Victoria must know by now that she's not protected, even though she is. But Victoria by now must just be like, you know what? I'm just going to kill her. And don't do the whole, oh, I have to kill her in a way that makes Edward upset. So I'll film it like James did. Didn't work for James. It's not going to work for you. Victoria, just kill her in a sleep. Just kill her right now. She's sitting in the truck. She's, she's an open target. Just kill her. But no, in Bella's mind, she doesn't want to go to La Push because Victoria might follow her. Ugh. She's like, I knew it was better for Jacob that he was avoiding me. It's safer for him. But you're still unsafe. What are you doing about this Victoria problem? Nothing. Ugh. And then she says, it was bad enough that I couldn't figure out a way to keep Charlie safe. Nighttime was the most likely time that they would come looking for me. And what could I say to get Charlie out of the house? Why would nighttime be the most likely time that they're going to come looking for you? They can walk out into the sunshine. They go out in daytime all the time. Edward went to school for years. Hundreds of years. They can go out in the day. Oh, but, but no, I have to keep Charlie safe at nighttime. At daytime is fine, but at nighttime, I better keep an eye out. And then she's thinking, well, I can't run away because if I run away, Victoria's still going to come here and kill Charlie, which is a hop, skip and a jump in logic. Why would Victoria kill Charlie if you've run away? It, I mean, yeah, it's a concern, but it's not a sure thing. So she's like, no, can't run away. And she says, oh, the worry was eating a hole in my stomach. Soon I would have matching punctures. The hole in your chest isn't real. It's metaphorical pain. But she's just banging on about it as if it's a real hole in her chest. An ever-expanding hole in her chest. And then Bella, ugh, I know I have low expectations of her, but she just never fails to surprise me at how obtuse she is. She's like, it wasn't until Thursday that it finally hit me. I feel so stupid for not having seen it sooner. But when I laid out the evidence, it was embarrassingly obvious. Holy crow, it was Sam Uli. So she's like, you know what? 
It's Sam's fault that Jacob's being weird. How did she not think this straight away? Jacob's in the car being like, oh, I'm worried I'm going to be next in this cult of meth-busting moral police. And she's seen them diving off a cliff and, and she doesn't think about them at all. And she's like, even my nightmares had been trying to tell me about Sam Uli because she'd been dreaming about Sam Uli in her, in her dreams, her prophetic dreams. But now she's finally pieced it together and she's like, all right, he's part of a cult. He's been sucked in. And then she's like, he hadn't given up on me at all, I realised with a rush of feeling. Um, just because he's in a cult doesn't necessarily mean that he hasn't given up on you. And so then she's weighing up the dangers against each other. She says, if I went looking for Jacob, I risked the chance of Victoria or Laurent finding me with him. But if I didn't go after him, Sam would pull him deeper into his frightening compulsory gang. I don't really think those things are comparable. She's weighing the dangers against each other. Certain vampire death or, or a gang of goody two-shoes that don't like people who deal meth. Well, I mean, one seems a bit more dangerous than the other. And then she's thinking, well, it's been a week and the vampires haven't come knocking down my door, so I mustn't be a priority. Most likely, as I decided before, they would come for me at night. Why? Why would they do such a thing? You just ran into Laurent in the daylight in the meadow. That was daytime. And she's like, no, they'd only ever come after me at night. That's ridiculous. James tried to kill you in the middle of the day in that hot Phoenix sunshine. It's not a barrier. And then she says, the chances of them following me to La Push were much lower than the chances of losing Jacob to Sam. But what about the difference in the potential effects? Death or not dealing meth? Those aren't the same thing. And then she's talking about how she has to rescue Jacob. She had seen a documentary on PBS about deprogramming the brainwash. And she's like, I'm going to have to do it. It's a rescue mission. And I'm like, babe, he's not a part of Scientology. So then she's thinking, I better get the police involved. So she calls up Chief Swan because she calls him at the station. And she says, I'm worried about Jacob. I think something weird is going on down at the reservation. There's some strange stuff happening with the other boys his age. And now he's acting the same way. And I'm scared. Charlie's like, oh my God, what kind of stuff? And she's like, oh, just like avoiding me. And, and now he's with the gang, you know, Sam Ollie's gang. So she doesn't give any specifics on how he's acting weird and what weird stuff is happening. And Charlie's like, oh, Sam Ollie, that lovely man who helped rescue you from the forest when you were lost in the forest for a really long period of time. Like Sam's a stand-up guy. I am sick to death of hearing the slander about Sam. Although I can't remember correctly, but is he the wolf that mauled his girlfriend's face? My opinion of Sam might change if that's the case. Because looking back on things, that could have been a really, really bad parallel to domestic violence. And I, I think we need to unpack that when we get to it. But at this point in time, Sam Ooley is a great guy. And Charlie's just like, yeah, you know what, Bella? I think it's fine. Like, I think you need to calm down. And then he says, Bells. I got a lot on my plate right now. Two tourists have gone missing off a trail outside Crescent Lake. Why are tourists still camping in this fucking hellhole? They're dropping off like flies and no one's shut down the walking tracks yet. Aren't there like posters or signs on these walking tracks being like, warning, there's been some weird animal attacks. Please don't hike here for the time being until we get it sorted. But no, he's got a lot on his plate not putting up preventative signs. 
or getting at the message that there's been some issues with animal attacks in the area. Uh, But now we've got two more tourists missing off of a trail and she's momentarily distracted, stunned by the news because she can't believe that the wolves survived the fight with Laurent. And she's like, "Mm, I'm pretty sure that's not what's happened to them. And I was like, okay, but Bella, Laurent could have easily have killed these two people as well. And they'd be blaming it on an animal. I don't know if this was in the book as well, but at least in the Twilight movie, I remember them being like another animal attack. This is getting crazy. And it was actually Laurent and James and Victoria killing people. And they were mistaking it for animal attacks. So, but she's taking the fact that there's another animal attack as proof that the werewolves are alive rather than Laurent when Laurent could have killed them. I mean, she's just always jumping to a conclusion, isn't she? She's never thinking anything through clearly. She's just thinking about dumb stuff, dumbly, (laughs) dumbly. And she says, what I'd seen in the meadow just got stranger and stranger, more impossible to understand. Stranger and stranger. She's accepted the existence of vampires. She dated one, Um, but no, a vampire meeting some wolves in a meadow. That's just too strange for her to even wrap her head around. And so then... Charlie's like, all right, don't worry about it. Bye. And they hang up and she stares at the phone for a long minute, a long minute. (sighs) All minutes are the same length. A minute is a minute. That's why the song in Rent is 525,600 minutes, not 525,600 long minutes or 525,600 short minutes. It's just 525,600 minutes because that's how long they go for. So what does she do? She calls Jacob's house again. They need to put a block on this number. It is stalker territory. And Billy answers and Billy's, you can tell is like, oh, hi, Bella. Jake's not here. And she's like, well, where is he? And Billy's like, he's out with his friends. And she's like, oh yeah, anyone I know, Quill. And so she's getting really stroppy. She's really going in hard on Billy. And then she turns a bit, I don't want to say serial killer, but definitely psychotic because she says, oh, well, have Jacob call me when he gets in. And he says, sure, sure, no problems. And then clicks off. And she says, see you soon, Billy, into the dead phone. So the phone call's already ended and she's saying, see you soon, Billy. Like that sounds intimidating to me. Like, is that a threat? But also he's not on the other end of the line. So why are you still talking? It's psycho. It's psycho. And then she thinks, you know what? I'll drive to La Push and I'll sit out the front of his house all night. I'd miss school. She said, I'll just stay there until I run into him. It's like, babe, this is escalating quite quickly. But on her drive there, she runs into Quill. And she thinks Quill looked bigger than the last time I'd seen him. She goes, what were they feeding these guys up here? Experimental growth hormones. Again, that's a boomer right and a joke. Experimental growth hormones. Okay, Steph. Really left us rolling in the aisles with that one. And so Quill's morose, obviously because all his friends are hanging out without him. They've all excluded him. By the way, why is that the way of the pack? I don't know why it had to be a surprise for Jacob and for Quill and for Ambry and for everyone who's joined Sam Woolley's pack. Why did they have to be surprised by the werewolf transformation and be excluded before then? Like, this is quite cruel to Quill. Like, I know once Quill becomes a vampire, they'll read each other's thoughts or whatever the hell the wolves do. And Quill will understand. 
but it seems pretty cruel to be excluding your friends. And it's like, you could just be like, hey, you know what, Quill? Um, something's going to happen. I don't want to say what, but something's going to happen and it'll all make sense. Uh, but we're still your friend and we care about you. And yeah, you can hang out with us for a little bit. Let's go dive off some cliffs. Like, I don't see a reason why you have to not be hanging out with us. But just, you know, if you do start to feel a, a little bit sick, give us a call and then we'll fill you in on the deets. Like, what was wrong with that? That would have been a fine way to approach it, but instead they're just cold shoulder, not talking to him, making people think that you're in a cult. It's not really that well played, Sam. And so she says, get in, I'll drop you home. And she starts asking him whether he's seen Jacob and Embry, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, well, they saw me, but then they just turned around and walked into the forest and I, I don't know what's going on, but I think it's Sam and his crew. And she's like, so Sam got to him, huh? And Quill's like, oh, you know about that? And I was like, what do you mean you know about that? You've just been talking about that. And Quill's like, yep, Jacob never leaves Sam's side. And Bella says, what do you think it is? Drugs or something? And we know these people hate meth. They chased a meth dealer out of town. But Quill is just ratcheting up the tension. He's like, Jacob didn't want to be a part of this cult. I don't understand what could change him. And then he looks into her face and he says... I don't want to be next. And he says it in italics. So take what that, what you will. But I think she's just trying to emphasize that this is a a body snatcher, like tense moment. So she drops him off and she's like, I'm going to go wait for Jacob. And he's like, good luck. So she parks out the front of Jacob's place. She sees Billy looking through the window and she waves at him with a tight smile. And Billy's eyes narrowed and he let the curtain fall across the glass. Fair enough. I'd be calling the police. Even if the police is the crazy stalker's dad, I'd be like, hey, Charlie, calling as a friend, but also in a professional capacity, there's a psycho stalking me and camped out the front of my house. And it's also your daughter, just BT dubs. Um, so maybe you want to handle that. You can handle it off the book if you want, but I think it needs to be handled. So yeah, totally on Billy's side in all this. And she's like, well, I may as well kill some time. So she starts doodling on the back of an old piece of paper. And then before she knows it, there's a tap at the door and it's Jacob being like, what are you doing here, Bella? And he's growling. And she's like, wow, Jacob had changed radically in the last two weeks. The first thing I noticed was his hair. He's had a haircut because a haircut signifies change. But also... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. 
What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. His face seems to have hardened, tightened, aged, and his neck and his shoulders are thicker. But then she says the physical changes were insignificant. It was his expression that made him almost completely unrecognizable. Really? It's not the... The huge haircut from having really long flowing hair to just having a buzz cut. That's not the biggest change. She says there was a darkness in Jacob now, like my son had imploded. It's not your son. That's a person with his own agency. Get over it. He can be dark and brooding if he wants to be. You're not the boss of who gets to brood. You dated someone who brooded for like a year. You didn't care about his brooding. And then she says behind Jacob were four others, all tall and russet-skinned, black hair cropped short like Jacob's. They could have been brothers, so they're all russet-skinned. I thought last chapter in the meadow that because one wolf had a particularly russet fur, that that would have been Jacob. But by that logic, they all should have russet fur because they're all got russet skin. Ah, russet skin. I mean, has any other book in the history of publishing ever used the word russet this much? And then she makes eye contact with Sam Uli and he's just standing there looking serene and happy and carefree. And that makes her so angry. And she has this wave of anger and a violent desire that she wants to be a vampire so that she can hurt him. Oh, and that desire knocks the wind out of her because, you know, she can't think about becoming a vampire and the hole in her chest and all, 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 all that. And she's like, I want to talk to you. And he's like, well, go ahead. And she's like, alone. And so he's like, ugh. So he nods at his little russet skin friends and then they walk off into the forest with their russet skin. And Jacob made a brief comment in an unfamiliar liquid language. She could only be positive that it wasn't French or Spanish. What? Does she speak French or Spanish? Does she know that Jacob speaks other languages? She should have asked this when she's been his best friend fixing up motorbikes. Well, how, how come this has never come up again? But no, uh, uh, she's self-centered. I think Bella's the son because everything revolves around her. So Bella's like, all right, Jacob, let's go for a walk. And her feet squished in the damp grass and mud beside the road. But then she realizes that his feet have somehow found a less noisy path than hers. So yeah, now he's graceful. So there we go. I wondered if we'd get a shift from him being clumsy to graceful and that's why he became clumsy in one chapter all of a sudden. I guess it's so we get this moment where he's even more of a transformed person. 
And if that's not enough, she says, oh, Jacob suddenly picked up the pace, striding ahead of me easily with his long legs. She says, I was distracted by the overt grace of his movement. Jacob had been nearly as klutzy as me with his never-ending growth spurt. When did that change? So, okay. In case you didn't pick up on the hints, here it is in full black and white text. He used to be as klutzy as Bella. I still doubt that, but now he's graceful. We can move on. And Jacob's like, let's get this over with. He's like, it's not what you think. It's not what I thought. I was way off. And she's like, so what is it then? And he's like, I can't tell you. And I'm talking like this because she says that he's really husky and (laughs) weary and just really blunt and abrupt. And she says, I thought we were friends. And he says, we were. And she's like, oh, there was a slight emphasis on the past tense. And I'm like, you use the past tense, Bella. I thought we were friends. And he says, we were. Like, I know that he's using it a bit more past tense than her past tense, but it's like, okay, you also were speaking in the past tense. Don't be pulling him up on his use of the past tense when you were doing the exact same thing. He just repeated your words. He repeated your words back to him. So don't be so off put by it. And then he's like, Sam's helping me as much as he can. And she's just having a go at him, being a bit mocking, being like, oh, so you've seen the light. Hallelujah. And I mean, if I was rescuing someone from the cult, I don't know if I would have gone in with the attack. I mean, how do you deprogram someone? Uh, I don't know, but I don't know if it's through sarcasm. I can't imagine sarcasm's on the top of the list for ways to help de-brainwash someone. So then he's like, no one can help me now. And she's like, what did he do to you? And she's crying and she goes to touch him and he's like, don't touch me. And she's like, it's Sam's fault. And he says, stop blaming Sam. And then she's like, who should I blame then? And he's like, you don't want to know that. And she's like, the hell I don't. I want to know. And I want to know now. Just imagine all the exclamation marks that are being used. And he's like, you're wrong. And she's like, don't tell me I'm wrong. You're the one that's brainwashed exclamation. Tell me now whose fault it is. If it's not your precious Sam exclamation. And he's like, If you want to blame someone, why don't you point your finger at those filthy reeking bloodsuckers that you love so much? And she's like, oh, what a hit to the chest. She says she was stabbed with his double-edged words. Now, I know a double-edged sword is a thing, but these words seem pretty single-edged. I mean, there's no double meaning behind them. Like a double-edged sword, that's like it hurts you when you hurt them. But I don't know if Jacob's hurt by saying this. So I don't think they're double-edged words. It's a confusing little play on words is what it is. So yeah, the jagged hole inside her is ripping open from the inside out. I mean, isn't the hole already open and now it's getting ripped open? I mean, it's not a real hole. And she's like, I don't understand what you mean. And he's like, "Uh, yeah, you do. And she says it again. She says, I don't understand what you mean. And he's like, the Cullens. And then he's like, you know what? I know what it does to you when I say their name. I can see it in your eyes. And then she's thinking like, how does he know about this? Was it a gang of vampire haters? (laughs) If so, what's wrong with that? A gang of vampire haters. Like, okay, yeah, that's kind of the side you'd want to be on. Like, I know the Cullens are the exception because they don't eat humans, but you did have a vampire try and kill you. You've got a mark on your hand from when a vampire bit you and tried to kill you. So yeah, maybe, maybe you should see the perspective that people would necessarily not like T 
to be hanging out with vampires. You can't see that point at all. It's just so confusing to me. And she says, why would Jacob start believing the stories about the Cullens now, when the evidence of them was long gone, never to return? Couple of things. Uh, The evidence really isn't that long gone. The house is still there. Uh, Also, you met Laurent in the meadow just last week. Yeah, that's, that's a vampire who you had a full conversation with just last week. But no, the evidence of the evidence of vampires is long gone, never to return. Like, isn't your main concern at the moment the fact that Victoria might come and kill you and Charlie? You had a whole few pages at the start of this chapter, waking up relieved that you weren't killed yet and they're going to come at you at night. But no, no, the evidence is never to return. And she's in full denial mode. She's like, uh, I still don't see your point. Uh, I don't know what the Cullens have got to do with anything about what Sam's doing now. And he's like, Sam's not doing anything. And he's like, sometimes things are set in motion and then it's too late. Okay, he's starting to sound like the Cookie Monster. I might stop that because it's actually hurting my vocal cords. <laughs> I'm a podcaster, I need my voice. And then she's surprised about the warning voice in her head. It's Edward's voice saying, quiet now, Bella, don't push him. And she's saying the name Edward. She says, Edward cautioned me in my ear. And uh, I mean, is it in your ear if it's in your head? And we know it's not Ed. And how are you getting distracted by your own internal monologue? It's the dumbest book. It's dumber than Twilight. She's outdumbed herself with this book. Like, I understand the temptation to keep your romantic interest. One of the main characters of your book, who's just dumped the main character to have some sort of presence. But like, the the, the whole hearing voices thing. What is she, Joan of Arc? And so then she's talking to both the voice in her head and Jacob being like, you're being ridiculous. And whatever she's saying applies to both of the conversations that are going on. Like, ugh. And he's like, well, it doesn't matter anyway. The damage is done. And she's like, what damage? And he's like, you know what? You don't get it. Let's go back. There's nothing else to say. And she's like, there's everything more to say, exclamation. You haven't said anything yet, exclamation. And I mean, he kind of has told you a fair bit. He's pretty much indicated that he's aware of the existence of vampires. He believes the old stories. What else is an old story? Oh, the story he told you on the beach about the wolves. Like, that's not even six degrees of separation. That's two degrees of separation between you and finding out the truth. Just put it together. But Bella's rattled. She's like, hey, I ran into Quill today. Uh, yeah, you remember him, your friend Quill? Well, he's terrified. He's freaked out. He's worried about you. He's frightened that he's next. And I was like, can Jacob get a word in? <laughs> and Jacob's like, no, nah, he won't be next. He can't be. It's over now. This shouldn't still be happening. And then his fist slammed against the tree. And it wasn't a big tree, slender, only a few feet taller than Jacob. A few feet taller than Jacob, so that's probably about, what, like eight or nine feet. And she says, but it still surprised me when the trunk gave way and snapped off loudly under his blows. So he just punched out a tree and she's still not putting the pieces together. She's not picking up on the clues. I mean, she says she's surprised that he punched out a tree, but she doesn't seem to bring it up again. Or she doesn't seem to say, hey, um, Jake, you just punched a tree and it snapped. Where's this strength coming from? But Jacob's like, well, I better get back now. And she's like, back to Sam, exclamation. And he's like, yeah, sure. That's one way to look at it. And she says, wait, exclamation. And he says, go home, Bella. I can't hang out with you anymore. Oof. So then she's crying and she's like, are you breaking up with me? And I was like, oh God, babe, you're not his girlfriend. You didn't want to be his girlfriend. 
think up better words. And then the next line made me think that she agreed with me that she had the wrong choice of words. And she says, yes, the words were all wrong, but our bond was stronger than any schoolyard romance. So she thinks she needs a better word for breaking up. And then she's like, come on, Jake, be my friend, please. I need you, exclamation. She's crying, loneliness choked in her throat. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. And then she says, I'm sorry that I couldn't dot, dot, dot before dot, dot, dot. I wish I could change how I feel about you, Jacob. I was desperate, reaching, stretching the truth so far that it curved neatly into the shape of a lie, which is a fancy way for saying she lied. And she says, maybe dot, 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 maybe I would change. I whispered, maybe if you gave me some time, dot, 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 just don't quit on me now, Jake. I can't take it. So she's effectively lying to him saying, hey, maybe if you give me a bit of time, I will want to be your girlfriend and we can have a relationship. And she's lying, knowing that that's never going to happen. So she's leading him on. This is like really manipulative and a really strong overuse of the ellipsis. Bella's a bad person. She's toying with Jacob's feelings as much as he's being an asshole as well. But like, maybe he does need some space from you. You're toxic. And I'm glad Edward dumped you. And I'm glad Jacob dumped you. And I think no one should be your friend because you suck. (laughs) And then he tries to do the whole, it's not me, it's you type of thing. And then he says, I mean it, Bella. And she narrates, he struggled, his voice going even huskier as he fought to control his emotion. I can't do it. I can't do it. My voice is going to break. But he says huskily, I'm not good enough to be your friend anymore. Blah, blah, blah. And she's like, what? What are you saying? exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. She's like, you're my friend. That's what you are. Exclamation, Jake, don't exclamation. And he's like, I'm sorry, Bella. And then he turns and he runs away. Then she's left standing alone in the rain, which she should be used to by now. And the rain gets heavier and it gets windier, but she's still just standing there. And then finally the door opened and she took a step forward in relief thinking, oh good, he's finally going to invite me in. But then it's Billy and Billy's like, yeah, Charlie just called Bella. I told him you're on your way home, AKA get the fuck off my property. So finally she gets back into her truck and she'd left the windows open. So the seats were slick and wet because the rain was getting in. You live in the rainiest city in America. Why are you leaving your truck windows down? Expect rain people. And so she makes it all about herself. She says, I thought Jake had been healing the hole in me. We've got to stop referring to it as a hole in Bella because, I mean, a hole can have a very different meaning. A hole could mean a very different thing, but she's just constantly referring to this hole inside of her. And it's like, okay, what hole are you talking about? And she says, I thought Jake had been healing the hole in me or at least plugging it up. So now she's saying that Jake's plugging her holes. Like, I mean, read it back, Steph. It's like in Harry Potter when Harry's always talking about his wand in his pocket. (laughs) It's like, okay, Harry. Like, JK, for someone so obsessed with people's genitals, you'd think she'd be more aware of how she's describing wands in jeans. But she says she's wrong. He'd actually been carving out his own hole. So now she's riddled with holes like Swiss cheese. Stop saying hole. So she gets home and Charlie's like, Billy said you got in a fight with Jake. And she's like, Oh, she's just, you know, same old Bella. Her face is horrified. She's sad. She's feeling empty and cold. And she's like, Sam Uli says Jacob can't be my friend anymore. And Charlie's like, oh, not this again. But I guess Charlie's like, all right, I'll take you at your word, Bella. So she goes, has a shower. 
But then she can hear Charlie on the phone being like, I'm not buying that. It doesn't make sense. And then he gets a bit heated and he's like, don't you put this on Bella. Bella's made it very clear all along that she and Jacob were just friends. Well, apart from the conversation just then when she sort of manipulated him and lied to him, trying to make out like she would one day maybe date him if he just gave her what she wanted at that point in time. Apart from that, but Charlie doesn't know about that. And Charlie's like, I know my daughter, Billy. And then Billy must say something and he says, what do you mean I don't know my daughter as well as I think I do? And then he's like, if you think I'm going to remind her about that, then you'd better think again. She's only just starting to get over it. And mostly because of Jacob. And I'm like, okay, well, if you don't want to remind her about a breakup, maybe stop screaming at the top of your voice in the middle of the night. And he's like, if those boys set one toe out of line, you'll hear about it or some other straight macho bullshit. And he hangs up the phone. And Bella's pretty annoyed that Billy's trying to blame her, but she's like, at least Charlie's on my side. So, hey, yeah, that's a plus. Who would have thought if you just let your father into your problems, maybe he could help? And then she says, the hole. Holes now. We're aching. More hole talk. So she goes to sleep just replaying Edward's voice in her mind. The false memory of Edward's voice. And then she has a dream because of course she has a dream. She's dreaming about Jacob and he's all really graceful. And then she's staring at him and the russet color of his skin leached away, leaving his face pale and he turns into Edward. And she reaches for Edward, but then Edward vanishes. So then she wakes up in the middle of the night and then she hears a noise, something sharp scraping along the length of her window with a high-pitched squeal, like fingernails against the glass. And that's a cliffhanger ending. Now, I suppose we're meant to think that it's Victoria. Will it be, or will it just be a branch? It'll just be a tree branch. I mean, she lives up against a forest. She probably hears something tapping against a window all the time. But the, the tension's escalated. Fingers crossed, it's Victoria and she's about to get killed. If you have any theories, let me know. Other than that, I'll see you next week for hopefully less russet descriptions. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.